You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Simon Lusk is a seasoned political consultant and an expert on campaigning. With the advent of Labour's nasty negative campaigning, I thought I'd get him back on The Crunch to discuss in depth how negative campaigning can be successful and we will rate the New Zealand attempts at negative campaigning. Welcome, Simon. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, so it's all big news this week after the CTU has um, run attack ads in the Herald, and we had, of course, David Seymour running attack ads against Winston Peters, and the media have sort of woken up to the this revelation that there's such a thing as negative campaigning. But you and I have... Uh, We've run our own negative campaigns in the past, and it's nothing new for us. So I thought we'd share with the RCR listeners your views on negative campaigning and whether it's worthwhile and effective. Oh, well, the first thing is, is absolutely it is extremely worthwhile and it is very effective. It is um, a crucial part of the um, the campaigner's toolbook, and, and you're basically negligent if you're not willing to use it. Um, it's you know it's it's a, it's a proven and well-tested method in the rest of the world, especially in the US, where the campaigning has actually got a whole lot cleaner. In in the um, 1800s, they used to put, uh, put out absolutely slanderous brochures about their opponents that were just made up. Um, now, it, it at least has a degree of truth in it. Um, and it really just works, and it works because it emphasises what um, people tend to think anyway about a politician um, and it usually works because it's it's truthful um, you can't say stuff stuff about someone else that isn't truthful you get nailed in defamation so mm. you've got to be um, truthful and and the, there's research and and I'm not sure how contemporary research goes but it's saying it's four times more truthful than the biographical pieces that politicians put out about themselves, which are, you know, basically puff pieces and bullshit. If you're going to run a negative campaign, you've got to tell the truth about someone. Yeah, exactly. So so how come New Zealand is backwards, really, in coming forwards on negative campaigning? Uh, there's a series of reasons, but the biggest one is the um, lack of professionalism in New Zealand politics. We're a very amateur place. The money spent here is not high. The quality of our um, our politicians is not high. They don't fundraise properly, and then they don't run decent campaigns based on having good data. And you know, they, our, our mate Farad should be involved in just about every campaign, telling people how to use data properly. They don't, you know, nationals will, oh, we're blue dot. Well, they never have a get out the vote. Obama spent te- uh, $100 million in 2012 on his data alone, and that was just to do the get out the vote. We're, we're amateur. Um, and, oh, we've all got to be nice to each other. Well, well, you know, that's not the real world, and we'd be a far better place if we actually emphasised some of the, the failings of, of some political parties. Although you do have to be a bit careful about it. I mean, the, um, the classic example of where negative campaigning didn't work was Pauline Hanson in Australia, where when she first came on the scene, um, she'd say something outrageous, everyone would go nuts about it, and her poll rating would go up. And at, at one point, one of the senior ministers in the Australian government came out and said, look, we're all just going to stop talking about Pauline Hanson. If we ignore her, her poll rating will go down. Um, and 
and that message got um, uh, widely published. No politicians talked about her, and you know, being Australia, they put her in jail as well. But um, she got let out because the conviction was dodgy. But they absolutely hammered her by ignoring her. So that it wasn't a negative campaign; it was no campaign. Just ignore her. So some of the time, ignoring is better than negative. Well, that's what I couldn't work out with David Seymour and the ACT Party's attacks on Winston Peters. They actually had a nice photo of Winston with a smile on his face and a quote on the billboards that he could easily have said. And so it ended up looking like a New Zealand First ad instead of an ACT Party ad. Yeah, and... And I think your criticism is probably a bit generous. Whoever put that ad up really needs to be punished severely because there was ambiguity in it. If they wanted to get the message out that Winston was uh, a risk or something, they needed to be much clearer. I mean, I looked at that ad and and a whole lot of people said to me, oh, has Winston got billboards up in central Auckland? I don't know. Um, And they sent me that one, had a look at it, and it's an act ad, and I couldn't tell immediately. It It was a very inept ad. Ineptness in politics is the undoing of many politicians. Unfortunately, we have an ineptocracy. Yeah, yeah, we do. We're just not professional at all about it. And, you know, we've we've seen a series of people that wanted to be prime minister thinking they would get there like Jacinda by being lovely people, and they just weren't, and they got hammered. And, and, you know, that's most opposition leaders. Mm. So in the US, they campaign on... On uh, with negative ads, especially on the failures or or poor results on policy, they use the record of the politician, don't they, extensively? Yeah, and not only that, they um, so so they hold people to account, but they also um, force people to vote on stuff that they know won't pay in their electorate. So there's a whole lot of congressional votes that are absolutely meaningless. It's never going to get. Uh, into law, but it's one side wants the other side to say, well, or to vote on something that they know isn't popular. And, you know, the, the classic example at the moment is is really tough abortion laws are very, very unpopular, even with Republican voters. So the Democrats are trying to get line people up to put in a six-week abortion ban because they know they can win votes off it. Um, if it's in Congress, Congress has no ability to change abortion laws, um, but they can vote on abortion laws and it just won't go anywhere. Um, and, you know, it's the uh, impeach, talking impeachment on, on um, Biden, there's a whole lot of Republicans who, who have districts that voted for Biden and are very worried about an impeachment because it could cost them their seats. Um, and, you know, that, that I, I don't think that Biden's team will be they don't want to be impeached, but they will be able to make a play for those 23 seats by saying these idiots voted for impeachment when Biden hadn't done anything wrong and was trying to fix the economy, so let's get rid of them. And, you know, that that's a, a setup that is something that I'm sure there's plenty of Democratic strategists are ready to go in those 23 seats with. Mm. Um, a lot of the negative uh, campaigning in the U.S., seems to involve uh, personalities and flaws in their personality. And and I guess one of the most recent ones that I can remember was when uh, John Kerry was standing and uh, the Swift Vote Boat Veterans for Truth came out and launched an attack ad against against John Kerry uh, based on his alleged service in Vietnam. 
uh, and seriously impinged his ability to 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 get anywhere on that. Yeah, although uh, the Republicans did walk away from that because mm. uh, there were a whole lot of veterans who were offended by it. Uh, the the rules around um, uh, Purple Hearts are you, you basically just need to bleed. So yes, he was um, he he won a Purple Heart, and were, I think after three injuries or three Purple Hearts, you you get taken out of service, and they weren't major injuries. Mm. But I, I'm pretty sure that uh, George W. Bush came out and said, "Look, this has got to stop," which uh, sometimes does happen, where mm. it, it's gone a bit overboard. The far more effective attack on Kerry, and and I'm sure you're going to share this ad, was the the one of him windsurfing and and changing direction, and yeah. that is this absolutely, yeah. Kerry voted for this, and then he voted against it, and then he voted for it again, and yeah. and they run through about half a dozen things where he's just changing direction on his windsurfer, changing direction on his votes, and yeah, that that was a wonderful ad, um, and it. it you know the, the flip flopping of Kerry was something that they used to define him. I'm George W. Bush, and I approve this message. In which direction would John Kerry lead? Kerry voted for the Iraq War, opposed it, supported it, and now opposes it again. He bragged about voting for the $87 billion to support our troops before he voted against it. He voted for education reform and now opposes it. He claims he's against increasing Medicare premiums, but voted five times to do so. John Kerry, whichever way the wind blows. And that's where it comes down to, isn't it? Because elections, elections are are effectively a referendum on the on the government. Yeah, or a choice between leaders. So you you know, mm. at the moment, National really want this to be a referendum on the government because the government is about the worst in living memory, um, if not the worst ever. They've just managed to fail on everything, and National haven't prosecuted that case. And all labour of God is Hipkins is way more likable. Than um, than Luxon and people are, are just not sure about Luxon and so they want it to be a choice between Hipkins and, and Luxon and mm. National want it to be a referendum that you know if, if COVID came back and we're all locked down and we still had the election and Luxon couldn't get out it'd probably help him like it helped Biden yeah. um, but you know the Hip, Hipkins in my view has made a terrible mistake in um, having the debates head to head debate with um, Luxon on the 12th of October, because at least half of people will have voted by then and the, the election's over. Um, he should have been demanding three debates with Luxon starting now and, you know, really emphasising the difference between the two because it's, it's, there's not much else Labor has. Well, that, that's the thing, isn't it? They can't run on their record. Uh, I mean, they haven't delivered 100,000 Kiwi build houses. They haven't planted a billion trees. They haven't materially reduced child poverty. They haven't built the the uh, light rail to the airport. They haven't built the bridge across Auckland Harbour. There's a whole lot of things they haven't done. They can hardly run on their on their record. But on the other hand, we're not seeing uh, the National Party prosecuting the government for their failures. I mean, sure, they're doing a little bit on crime. And uh, you know, Erica Stanford's been uh, doing sterling work about school truancy, but 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 the massive amounts of waste. I mean, just last week there was the Education uh, Ministry of Education having millions and millions of of masks in storage, costing something like twenty seven thousand dollars a month to store. 
and they're about to expire. You've got the rat tests, half a billion dollars on rat tests, and we're not seeing the the gov- the the opposition prosecuting these failures. And you know, I think that we we both acknowledge that Helen Clark is probably the best politician in our lifetime. She's just wonderful. And I think if we remember back to the pressure she had Chipley's government under from about ninety seven to ninety nine. Mm. They were. Everyone just thought that Shipley was hopeless and her government was useless. And yeah. you know that was the my my wonderful polls professor said to me. You know that that when you're prosecuting the case against as the opposition, you've got to make the government fear going into the house. And I'm sure that the National Party didn't enjoy going into the house when Helen Clark was just smashing them for their continued incompetence. And I don't see Labor going into the house in fear. And they should be because they've got a disgraceful record. And I'm not talking about the stuff that your listeners care about. I'm just talking about the big stuff like the 100,000 houses, the light mm. rail, you know, the, the school truancy. Those things are just – everyone can see that it's terrible. You know, it's just and, – and instead of uh, – like that that should have been the last probably two years, Nationals should have just been pounding them in the house so they didn't want to go in there. I mean, the, the probably the best – uh, pounding that we can remember is when Lockwood Smith was prosecuting Tito Philip Field, and yeah. Helen Clark was not enjoying going into the house every day to answer questions about a dodgy minister. And and Lockwood did a wonderful, wonderful job. Um, and you know the the even better example is, um, and probably the best example of an opposition prosecuting a government is. Is Tony Abbott just completely rinsed the Labor Party and almost got back into power after three years? And mm. you know that that was just perfect. He, he and his slogans were really simple. It was a great campaign. You knew exactly what he was standing for, and it just emphasised that Labor really weren't fit to run the country. And, and if it hadn't been for the three independents in very right wing seats signing up with with Labor, he would have got there. Um, in uh, 2010, not 2013, and you know that that's the model. But yeah, uh, you know, Helen Clark was as good as as Tony Abbott, if not, she was much better as Prime Minister. And you know that that's the kind of thing that a true negative campaign would have been, just highlighting the truth about Labor. And, mm. and every day in the House, just like don't ask Hip, Hipkins any questions. Ask the useless education minister what's happened to the the all the truancy or the the even more useless transport minister about all the potholes or why he's wasted so much money on light rail and it's never going to get built. Um, you know, the only question to ask the leader is, do you have confidence in all your ministers after you've demonstrated that they they can't run a bath, let alone a ministry? Well, that, I mean, that's the thing I could never understand. Uh, you know, in the early days of the Ardern uh, regime is that you know various leaders from Bill English to Simon Bridges to Todd Muller, um, they all just stood there and asked questions of Ardern. And I, I just was staggered that they continued to do that. And she was competent enough answering questions to bat them away easily. And they would have been far better to, to do exactly what you said, ignore Ardern so she sits there. She can't flap her arms and flap her gums she can't answer any questions. Uh, same with Robertson. Same with Hipkins. Ignore them and go after the dullards and the dolts that are within within the ministry, and just well, yeah. just harass yeah. them and break them. And and we did see that though with Melissa Lee, 
when she went after Claire Curran, and it wrecked her, absolutely and, wrecked her. Yeah, you know, for the life of me, I can't understand how that useless prick from Teatre 2 managed to stay in. You know, useless Phil, what's his name? What, Tw- he, Mr Twifford, as um, Stephen Joyce used to call him. I mean, I think he was trying to uh, build the light rail and 100,000 houses and he didn't get close to doing any of them. I mean, I would have had him up on both of those every day, just incessantly. Just make, And Labor's uh, backbenchers would have been cowering in fear after a few weeks of that because they just know he hasn't got any answers. It would have been simple. Every week you say you get the housing minister, how many Kiwi build houses have been built this week? Yeah. The answer, the yeah. answer would have been week after week after week, none, none, yeah. none. Yep. Yeah. So, and, and then of course that leads into the ability to run attack ads and run negative campaigning based on their abject failure, at, you know, on their record. And that's that's really the perfect areas, isn't it? That you can attack people on is their record because it's undeniable. These are the facts. Yeah, uh, there's also a, um, a degree of uh, of theatre and a degree of um, of just emphasising what the instinctive feel about someone is. And you know, the, the the first really negative campaign ad in the modern era was Johnson's Daisy ad. Um, mm. when he was he was running against Goldwater in, in 64. And the daisy ad, which I'm sure you're going to share, is is a little girl plucking uh, the leaves off a daisy and um, an atomic bomb going off because um, Goldwater had said he was going to uh, lob an atomic bomb into the men's room at the Kremlin. And, you know, just to emphasise that point, it ran once. It scandalised America, got endless free play on all the media channels and Goldwater probably wasn't going to run, but it, it just emphasised that he was a bit of a loose cannon. One, two, three, four, five, seven, six, six, eight, nine, nine. the stakes to make a world in which all of God's children can live or to go into the dark. We must either love each other or we must die. Vote for President Johnson on November 3rd. The stakes are too high for you to stay home. Yeah, and you know, like I, LBJ was a master of the negative campaigning and, and he did do some pretty terrible things and I'm told without actually knowing that, that Texas was a pretty terrible place uh, in the 60s uh, they did all sorts of dodgy stuff but you know Johnson uh, to beat some strong incumbent in Texas uh, spread around a rumour that um, one of his his or his opponent committed bestiality um, and and Johnson, someone hit Johnson up and said, mate, you can't say this. And he said, you know, it's not true. And, he, and Johnson said, well, I know it's not true, but I just want to hear that bastard deny that he f- pigs. <laughs> <laughs> you 
you know, you, 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 it's, it's, that's, that's going a bit far, but uh, it's an example of a negative campaign that actually worked. Johnson won a race that perhaps he wouldn't have otherwise. And it was brutal and it was in your face, but it's legendary, that statement. And, you know, we use it in the vernacular in politics all the time and people will probably be upset with, you know, a swear word or anything, but that's an actual quote from Lyndon Johnson. It's what he said. And that's what his aim was, to make his opponent deny doing something disgusting. And, and uh, uh, there would have been much more to it than that. That wouldn't have been the only thing that helped Johnson win. But it was, you know, it's just put your opponent under pressure. And, you know, the, the, the next really great set of negative campaigns was the 1988 presidential election where... Oh, they were brilliant, um, weren't they? Just, just yeah, brilliant. And, Bush was really lagging after the primaries. He had no money. He basically was getting a hiding from Dukakis. And he, he ran a couple of the best campaign ads ever, the um, Willie Horton ad, because uh, someone had asked Dukakis, well, if if your wife was raped and murdered, um, would you want the death penalty? He gave a really technocratic answer. And, and he'd given a weekend release to a, a rapist who went out and raped and murdered someone. Uh, called Willie Horton, and the controversy was Willie Horton was this big, scary-looking black guy, and they said it was a racist ad. But it had the the, the um, truth behind it because the carcass had given weekend leave passes for for uh, prisoners, and Willie Horton did go out and commit some pretty terrible crimes. And you know that that ad helped change the dynamics of the race. Bush and Dukakis on crime. Bush supports the death penalty for first-degree murderers. Dukakis not only opposes the death penalty, he allowed first-degree murderers to have weekend passes from prison. One was Willie Horton, who murdered a boy in a robbery, stabbing him 19 times. Despite a life sentence, Horton received 10 weekend passes from prison. Horton fled, kidnapped a young couple, stabbing the man and repeatedly raping his girlfriend. Weekend prison passes. Dukakis on crime. There's another one that was um, Dukakis in a tank, and people say, well, Dukakis shouldn't have been in a tank in a tie because he looks like a Muppet. But the ad itself talks about all the, the stuff that he's claimed and then hasn't done or opposed on on funding the military. And that was a, you know, was, this guy is not only a bit of an idiot, but he doesn't support our military. It was a very, very effective attack ad. Michael Dukakis has opposed virtually every defense system we developed. He opposed new aircraft carriers. He opposed anti-satellite weapons. He opposed four missile systems, including the Pershing II missile deployment. Dukakis opposed the stealth bomber and a ground emergency warning system against nuclear attack. He even criticized our rescue mission to Grenada and our strike on Libya. And now he wants to be our commander-in-chief. America can't afford that risk. Bush went on to win quite easily because he'd, he'd made himself look a whole lot better than his opponent. Well, that's the thing is politicians tend to do these stunts, don't they? They, you know, the famous one of Don Brash walking the plank and then trying to get his extremely tall frame into a very tiny speedway Rester. car. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. He, it made Don Brash look awkward, out of touch, um, unbalanced, uh, all of those things in just two 30-second clips, you know, but and, they were never really turned uh, turned into attack ads. It was more the media 
focused on it rather than the than the opposition. Well, there's a, a, a legend in politics that David Shearer holding up the snapper in Parliament was a set-up by Cunliffe's people to make him look like an idiot. I don't know whether it's true or not, but if I was Cunliffe's people, I'd definitely put it around so I could take some credit for doing something good. And that was just an example like walking the plank or the car, where, which just should never have happened. It, it just absolutely should never have happened. And it allowed the message that Dom, who's a friend of both of ours and we absolutely love to bits, he's a great guy, mm. just wasn't quite fit to be prime minister. Um, and, you know, it, it was the end for Shearer because it just it was a stunt too far. And, and National didn't have to run any ads. And, you know, they didn't have to run negative ads against Cunliffe because everyone had worked out that guy was just horrible. Well, he did it um, to himself when he said he was sorry for being a man. Yeah, you know, it's just like, yeah, well, mate, you might as well have left the election. Now, there's, there's other examples of negative attack ads that, that probably haven't worked and are really beyond the pale. And, and uh, I'm pretty sure George W. Bush apologised to John McCain when some people associated with him push-polled in um, – uh, South Carolina saying, would you still vote for um, for John McCain if he'd fathered an illegitimate black child? Now, he hadn't. He'd adopted a Bangladeshi daughter, so people sort of knew, but it it, it, it wasn't determinative, but it, it just Bush wasn't happy with it. Um, and you know, it just wasn't a, a good move. Um, it was a step too far and it was a bit out of touch. But that's what happens when you have people that are outside uh, interest groups running the campaigns, because Bush was pretty unhappy with the Swift, Swift Boat Veterans for Truth too, because uh, it highlighted that Kerry had actually gone and served and Bush had got a deferment and gone to the National Guard and hadn't been to Vietnam. And, mm. you know, so so it was turn this around a bit on Kerry. Don't make one of his strengths his strength. Try and make it a weakness. But, it, it, it you know, the Democrats didn't really want to hammer Bush on you know, they couldn't come out and say Bush was a coward. He used his influence to not go to Vietnam. But that's what they really meant or they wanted to say. Well, the other thing is uh, there was an attack on McCain too, and I don't remember who did it exactly, but was mocking him how he couldn't raise his arms above his, you know, his hands above his shoulders. And they didn't realise that McCain had actually been brutally tortured when he was captured in Vietnam. And as a result, oh, yeah. he, he could he couldn't raise he could actually couldn't physically raise his hands above his shoulders because of the injuries from that, and it just backfired on the guy that attacked him for it. His his um yeah I mean his um arms were broken and mm. you know and but but it, then it didn't really backfire on Trump when he said he he liked the war heroes who weren't captured yeah um, uh, yeah uh, so yeah sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but. I think Trump was just blessed by a truly awful opponent rather than um, doing anything particularly special himself. Mm. Yeah. And probably one of the best and most underrated negative campaigns. Um, and Obama's team were generations ahead of everyone else in terms of their campaigning. But Romney, as usual, when you finish your primary, you've run out of money. He couldn't get on the airways over the summer. Um, so Obama's team... Uh, ran a whole lot of ads criticising Romney for being out of touch, and and um, and I think I'm pretty sure they had people who Romney's company Bain Capital had bought the firm and then um, offshored it, so lots of people got laid off talking about how Romney had sacked them, and you know just just the there's a, a really terrible photo of Romney with the um, 
the um, piles of cash at Bain Capital with his colleagues that got lots of airtime. And Van Romney didn't help by getting recorded saying that 47% of Americans um, uh, were basically takers and didn't contribute anything. Um, and the Democrats really hammered that. Uh, and you know, by the time Romney had some money in the, the um, spring to start advertising, he'd been defined, and it was very hard not to be defined, mm. as what Obama had chosen to. And Obama ended up winning relatively comfortably. I mean, it wasn't it, it wasn't a dominating win like his previous win, but he still won comfortably. And a lot of that was because he ran a wonderfully negative campaign framing uh, Romney uh, in 2000 um, and um in 2012, over the summer, before Romney could hit the airwaves. And I remember, too, the that was one of the first data-driven uh, campaigns at the time. And, you know, you and I were both following what Nate Silver was doing and uh, with, with polling and, and analysing the numbers. And I had a very public bet with Leighton Smith for a very expensive lunch um, at Sales Restaurant that um, Obama would win and Romney wouldn't. And... Um, you know, Leighton Smith was adamant that Romney was going to win. And, you know, I saw it and you saw it and we were saying, yeah, I don't think so. And we, I put that bet on and Leighton Smith honoured it, paid it up. You know, we had a very uh, sumptuous lunch uh, over several hours. Um, but that was, again, a, a case of not looking at data, not looking at the information that was actually available to everybody and making a judgment purely on partisan politics. And mm -hmm. that's often the way, isn't it, that people go, oh, look, we want the only way to beat um, Christopher Hopkins is to vote for national. And I sit there and say, well, it's not the only way. <laughs> there's yeah. there's yeah. never just one way, you know. No. But uh, no. if we're going to talk about negative campaigning, we have to mention Trump, don't we? Oh, absolute genius at it and a feral genius. I mean, I don't think there's much strategy behind it. I mean, he, he framed Hillary as crooked Hillary, and that was just brilliant because she had been involved in all sorts of dodgy stuff since the, the late 80s, and, and it just, you know, and he, he had his crowd chanting lock her up, and then they couldn't hit him for all the dodgy stuff he'd done, which was legion, uh, so they were both equal. And, you know, now he's calling Joe Biden crooked Joe Biden, the, the corrupt Biden crime family and stuff like that, trying to stay same stuff. Um, mm. His naming, I, I mean, can anyone ever look at Elizabeth Warren and not think Pocahontas? Um, <laughs> just, yeah, 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 it's just and, brilliant. And little and, Marco yeah. Rubio, he destroyed Marco yeah. Rubio, caught by and, calling him Little Marco. And low energy Jeb. And I mean, at one stage, you were naming a whole bunch of New Zealand politicians. Yeah. And, um, and, and when I found out that Jacinda had been given My Little Pony two Christmases in a row by her best friend, I called you up and said, Cam, look, this is going a bit far. Like, you can't, like, let's, and so her name got changed to Socialist Cindy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it sort of, it, it had some impact, but not really, because New Zealanders don't really hate socialists like Americans and like we do. But, you know, it was, it was, that was just part of a, a fairly simple naming convention. And, you know, Trump didn't work in 2020 with Sleepy Joe because it was a referendum on, on um, that wasn't, he, 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 Trump wanted it to be a referendum on his record and Biden wanted it to be a choice and COVID let Biden go and sit in, the, in his basement, not do anything and let Trump go out and flail away and, and the public didn't really have much of a campaign and Biden won. 
Just back to um to you know the nickname for Jacinda Ardern is My Little Pony. You might be interested to know who came up with that. It was actually Paula Bennett. Oh, and, was it? Yeah, and you know, you know, she always claims that she was above all that sort of stuff, but she she's actually one of the nastiest politicians that I've ever had the displeasure of interacting with. And uh, it was it was her that would do it, and in typical style of Paula Bennett and Bill English, they did all this nasty stuff, but they let other people say it, and they looked, yeah. you know, they stood at the back, and and you know, it's like the it's like the the naughty kids in kindy, right? They push other kids to do naughty things. It was them who instigated it, and then when it all goes south on the, on the uh, on the person who's just got caught, they go, oh, no, I told them not to do that, you know. And that was the thing that I always remember about Paula Bennett. She was deeply negative and deeply nasty. And, uh, and I was, she never got uh, caught for it. I mean, you've got to no. admire that. That's a real skill. I mean, how many other people do you know like that? Just just wonderful to be able to get away with it in politics. Yeah, she's lucky that, um, that a friend of ours who's got an audio recording of a meeting with her and Simon Bridges and, and, and a friend of mine, has never actually got into public because that would reveal the true nastiness of both Simon Bridges and Paula Bennett. But they never were nasty themselves when they were campaigning. Uh, that's the thing, is they were nasty in the back room, but not actually when it came to 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 doing it with ads or doing it in politics uh, in an overt way. And the National Party falls down on this quite regularly, don't they? Yeah, and, you know, that, that part of it is is that unlike in the US, they don't really have proxies that they genuinely work with. I mean, the, the, the logical proxy for them to work with is the TU. And the Taxpayers Union, um, they have always kept at arm's length and thought of a bit beneath them. Um, you know, Groundswell, wonderful organisation, wonderful guys. National treats them with contempt rather than thinking they could be useful for, for running some lines for them and helping them smash Labor. Um, it's it's just a degree of insularism and amateurism in um, inside national, and and it's probably also inside Labour when Helen Clark left because she was definitely not an amateur. I mean, the way she did Shipley over was just brilliant. Um, mm. But you know, national are a bunch of amateurs, and if they had have been proper negative campaigners, they would have had a playbook ready for when Jacinda left because she was always going to leave at some point. Didn't matter mm. what point it was but you know, there, there are really only four people that could potentially take over um, or thought they could take over and everyone knew that it was really going to come down to to Robertson, Kerry Allen, Michael Wood or Chris Hipkins and you know I, I, I remember when uh, Robertson got quite upset with you calling him a, a, a cardi wearing civil servant straight off the set of gliding on and oh, yeah, for, he, he, look, he just looked like Jim. He still does. He, does. he looks like Jim out of gliding on. And he, he tweets back at you, I don't own a Cardi. And, and it's like, yeah, okay, well, maybe you don't own a Cardi, but you still look like a civil servant straight off the set of gliding on. Um, and, you know, Kerry Allen, the rumours were legendary about her, um, her, her drinking and her appalling treatment of staff well before the stories broke. I mean, they would have mm. been able to... Some like this isn't a, a you don't necessarily have to be really aggressive with it. You just come out and say, oh, "Well, I hope Kerry can handle handle the pressure and she can take control of her drinking and work with staff a bit better." And there you've de defined her as as uh, uh, someone who can't cope with pressure, a drinker, and someone who's horrible to her staff. Yeah, and 
you know, and, and if that had been her message, the message about her, she would have had to struggle against those things. Um, and, you know, Michael Wood, I mean, Michael Wood, he's just a slimy little bastard. And you just look at him and you think, mate, you can't be prime minister. Most people want to smack you in the face. Now, that's not politically correct to say, but it's it's the blink test. And the time you blink, you probably do think with that guy, that with that guy. And, you know, the, he, he just reminds me a lot of, of Simon Bridges. And, and when Bridges got rolled, the word clouds about him were just horrible. And mm. I hope you can share them, that it was dick, dickhead, slimy, smarmy. Weasel. Just absolute, yeah. Absolutely was- horrible. And, you know, that's how I would have defined Michael Wood um, to start with. And and then I would have um, gone on and said something like, like, this bastard's useless. I mean, he couldn't build a house of cards with a buddy pack of cards and a kid helping him, let alone build light rail. I mean, where's the light rail running through his electorate? We're not closer to that than when he became minister. I mean, just absolutely useless. And, yeah, that would have been the truth, plus reflecting what most people feel about Michael Wood. I mean... You know, if, if we had have been uh, managing Michael Wood, we would have got the bloody hair gel out of his hair and tried to make him look like he, he didn't think he was better than everyone else. Well, that was the problem, you see, is every time I looked at Michael Wood, I saw two things. The first was Basil Brush, and I was expecting him to go boom, boom every time he said something because he even talked the same way as Basil Brush, you know, sort of machine gunning words out. Mm. And the second one is I thought you just if you were just a little bit rounder and had a little bit thinner hair and tucked your hand into your pocket, you'd look like Napoleon. And <laughs> and and that and that I said that out loud or I wrote that somewhere. And then what I heard is that all the politicians in Wellington started calling him little Napoleon. And that was really the undoing of them because they they hear these nicknames, you know. And, and they stick, and they do, especially if they're really accurate. And you know, I, I'm guilty of giving some politicians some appalling nicknames, you know, um, just playing on their name or whatever. Um, but they stick, and that's what Trump did so so well. But we're we not seeing any of that from Luxon, and I think National as well are just in total are um, uh, are forgetting that it is a part of the toolkit to actually go negative and you know when you've got chris bishop having a whine in the media um about all these scurrilous attack ads that are going on uh, they're not scurrilous i mean it's a no. picture it's a dodgy photo of christopher luxon with, with basically saying you can't trust him yeah you know and so yeah. it, it's so, not and, and- it's not bad no, no, no. It is, and, and it is. It's absolutely a reflection of Labor not being able to run on their record. So they've got to run against Luxon, and you know Luxon's net favourables aren't good. He isn't popular with with many New Zealanders. People said, "Oh, well, when he gets out and people know him better, they'll like him more." And, and in fact, that was in the polls. Here, sort of ninety one percent of people knew him, and his net favourables were negative five. So it wasn't exactly as if he was going to become popular overnight by getting out there, um, and. You know, they, they they genuinely could frame him as being out of touch and and not understanding normal people. And, a, you know, a guy that all he's reading has been self-help books and he speaks management bullshit. You know, if, if, if I had been bloody running Labor's internal campaign, I would have set up bullshit bingo for Parliament with the phrases that uh, Luxon uses that are management bullshit and have, you know, have the, the backbenchers all yell out bingo when they filled their bingo card with his bullshit phrases. Mm. Um, you know, just take the piss out of him. 
But, you know, if, we, if we we're going to name him, I mean, you and I had a bit of a disagreement on how we name him. I reckon he should be called Uncle Fester because he looks dead set, a dead ringer for Uncle Fester out of the the the, um, the Adams family. Mm, and I reckon he looks like Captain Underpants. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, I, and I think that kind of resonates a bit better because there's this hapless superhero, you know, battling the evil Labour Party um, but getting everything wrong along the way. And yeah, they, they, they could have tried that, and, you know, a really clever Labour attack. Uh, and, and they needed to do this when he first became leader was was get him defined as Uncle Fester. So every time anyone's seen him or Captain Underpants, you know, they, they're either seeing the Adams family or you know the the theme for Adams family or something like that. And you know, hammer his likability, not his policies, because uh, most people don't really care that much about policies. And and if you compare Nationals' policies with Labor's, uh, there's a chance Labor might, uh, sorry, a chance National might implement their policies. There's no chance at all Labor will implement theirs. They're just useless, uh, yeah. except the bad ones, the really bad ones, where they create division through co-governance and stuff. Um, the you know they 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 just you know they can't sort out school truancy they can't fill potholes and roads they can't build houses you know they they are useless they couldn't build but a house in a room full of Lego yeah and you know you've got to think that hammering his likability and 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 that's probably where I'd criticise the CTU they they're starting to criticise policies I would be more inclined to run a campaign against Luxon with normal New Zealanders saying Chris Luxon doesn't understand me and giving the public a permission structure to um to be um to to vote against him because of what they instinctively feel. I, I mean I spent the summer with people asking me, oh Simon, what's going to happen in the election? I said, well what do you think of Luxon? And, oh, and well that that pretty much sums it up. No one really knows. And Luxon isn't a good leader. Um, and that if he was, National would be way up in the polls. And, and pretty much all my friends are either ACT or National voters, some are New mm. Zealand First voters, none of them left-wingers, and they all want National to do well. And they yeah, well, I get that. Luxon doesn't, you know, I don't. he doesn't resonate with me. I don't really like him in the way that I like John Key. And, you know, people on the right really like Don Brash because he stood for the stuff that we believed in. Um, and, you know, but, but Luxon, well, I don't quite know what he actually stands for, really. Um, and that's how I would have been running the, the negative campaign. Mm. You know, so they're saying out of touch, too much risk. And, and you know, I really would have been playing the man, not the ball on this. I would have just been absolutely hammering the perception that Luxon is unlikable, which the polls show. Um, and, you know, I really would just be getting normal people saying, I don't think Chris Luxon understands me. And it, it's just that permission structure for people to vote based on what they instinctively feel. Well, I always like to ask women uh, what they think about politicians because usually it comes down to some unknown personality trait or, or uh, you know, blink test vision that they've got. So if you ask um, uh, you know, women about Winston, um, they generally go, oh, he's a bit of a silver fox, isn't he? You ask them about John Key, they're going, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind him parking his slippers under my bed. Um, but no one, literally, that I've spoken to has said anything positive about Christopher Luxon. Um, he's just not likable. And, and and there's a disconnect, and I've I've you know analysed it like I do with all other politicians, and uh, it's come down to an, what I consider to be inauthentic uh, behaviour. 
he's got slogans that he's rehearsed and mouths, but the body language doesn't match the slogans. And so it gives you that, you know, fleeting glimpse that this guy doesn't actually believe what he's saying. And so you get this this disquiet, this unease that occurs in your mind fleetingly, but rots away. It's it. And so when you actually sit down with them, people and say, well, tell me what you like about Christopher Luxon, what you usually hear is a, is a very long pause, a very long pause that you could drive a truck through before they say, well, um, and that's all you need to know. That's all you need to know about them. And that emphasizes why National probably should have been running a negative campaign against Labor because they couldn't win on likability. And Helen Clark was highly unpopular when she became leader. I mean, famously, she had 2% in the preferred prime minister polls and she took Labor down to 14% in one poll. And -hmm. she was a fine prime minister, but she didn't make it a presidential campaign about her. She just hammered the shit out of National. And Shipley just looked so terrible that, that when it came to voting day, no one really could vote for National willingly. It was a grudging vote. And Helen Clark came in and, and, and won. And that's what I would have been doing if I had have had uh, Luxon's campaign because you can't make a person likeable. You know, it's just you either are or you aren't. You can try and make them a little less inauthentic, but that's hard. I just sort of had him, look, this isn't good enough. Our country's going backwards. These bastards are wrecking it, and this is how they're wrecking it. Now, you know, you can't take them seriously ever and just absolutely hammer them, just really hammer Labor on their ineptness. And I'd also make the point I wouldn't be hammering them on the stuff that the reality check radio people are really passionate about. Mm. That doesn't resonate with most of New Zealand. You look at the, the vaccine stats and the vast numbers of New Zealanders have had their vaccine. They may not have liked it, but they've had it. So... You wouldn't go on about being made to take your vaccines or you would hammer them on the lockdowns. I mean, why did we have lockdowns in Auckland? Well, because they quarantined people at risk in Auckland instead of quarantining them somewhere else where it didn't matter and Auckland wouldn't get shut down. Yeah, that was just inept. But you wouldn't be going on about the stuff that your listeners all are very passionate about because it is a very much a niche position. You'd, you'd concentrate on the stuff that Everyone is concerned about you know. There's no one sensible isn't worried about the hey, truancy. You can't. What you'd 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 concentrate on would be um, co- coercion and mandates and those sorts of things because it's completely against the Bill of Rights. Um, but they're, but they're you, academic you, arguments that um, they're not even you know cogent supporters of of absolute freedoms for everything can actually elucidate in a way that is. Uh, beneficial to the lowest common denominator uh, in the electorate, you know, the vote, the voters on the street that are going to the factories every day. But the lockdowns it's not win definitely votes. no, but the lockdowns do because they they lost yeah. their jobs or they or they had to stay at home with their manky misses or you know whatever. Yeah, their business suffered or they had to spend three months with their kids being homeschooled, and you know mm. it was that that kind of stuff was was is going to have cut through, whereas. Um, the, for most of the public, the vaccine mandates aren't a big thing. Uh, that uh, The numbers are pretty clear on that. People voted by getting their vaccines, and most people did. Um, but that doesn't mean you couldn't attack Labor for some of their ineptness. And, you know, National really should be piling into them over their, their rats tests and their masks that are hanging around. And, 
you know, forgetting, the other forgetting to order things, you know, all yeah, of those. Well, that was Hipkins. Six yeah. weeks he forgot to order the vaccines, which kept us locked down for longer. I mean, if I was in Auckland, I would have been absolutely ropeable about being locked down. We were. Yeah, and, you know, that, that was when the polls changed. Um, the Those lockdowns really hurt Labor because they started losing Auckland and you basically win and lose the elections in Auckland. Mm. So with the with the current negative ads, let's let's just rip through those now and see whether they're important or not important, uh, or effective or not effective. Let's start with um, with Acts one because they kind of kicked off the negative campaigning season with their uh, attack ads against Winston. They. They, they really need to have a good, long, hard look at themselves. That that ad was a terrible ad. Um, there's a whole lot of things you can say about Winston that would have been much more effective. But when people don't know what the ad is about, whether it's for Winston or against Winston, it's just a terrible ad. And it, it sort of uh, speaks to the fact that there's a whole lot of insiders in ACT that know all this stuff and they, 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 they're probably not circulating with the – they're probably the – 95 or 97 percent of the population who simply just don't care about politics and wake up at election time and have a bit of a think about it and then vote and most of them just vote the same way uh, it wouldn't have got past a a, um, a decent research um, uh, person like Farah and it wouldn't have got past a um, well it wouldn't have been created if they had have used focus groups to test it you know there's, there's other stuff that they could have run on Winston but the execution and the message were just inefficient. Um, and strategically, why are you attacking Winston? I mean, the real enemy for you is Labour and the Greens and the Maori Party. Have mm. a crack at them. Um, you, you at least in theory can work a little bit with, with Winston. You can't work with the others at all. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I know that they don't like Winston, but sometimes you've just got to be pragmatic. And, and, and it's probably why you and I get on really well with people in Labour, because we're quite happy to whack them and we're quite happy to take a whack back from them and they don't take it personally. They think it's part of the game and, you know, they're just good mates with them because they're good mm. people and we disagree with them, but it doesn't mean that we have to hate them. Yeah, and, exactly. and I think that perhaps a little bit of actors, oh, well, we hate these people and instead of thinking, you know, it is part of the game, you've got to, to take a few knocks. And while you'd spend money on effectively promoting Winston when he's below 5% at the time the ad came out, I don't know. I just uh, couldn't really make sense of it. Well, he's over 5% now, and every ad, every poll, so ACT has actually helped Winston. So it's yeah. a little, so so we'd have to say it's a, a two <coughs> out of 10 for intent and a zero out of 10 for, for execution. I'd just give him zero all around. It's just something that a, a dispassionate campaign manager would have blocked straight away. It's like, come on, guys, yeah, grow up. Focus uh, on the target. Yeah, and and you know, if you've really got to annoy Winston, you know, you, you're far better off saying, well, Winston, you went with Labor, and you know that that is a he did go with Labor. It's true. Yeah, it's a valid it's a valid criticism. It's one that's used all the time. But uh, mm. you know, Act should have. You know, he they should have run. You can't trust Winston. Yeah, you know, he won't uh, won't honour the wishes of of the majority or whatever. But uh, yeah. they just they just and, went personal, you know. And, and I don't think it worked, especially as the photo was um, Winston smiling, and Winston smiling is far more appealing than Winston scowling. 
well, and far more appealing than David Seymour in any way. I mean, I'm looking at the photo now, and it's just like if Winston could have paid Act to put a photo up, they would have he would have paid him to put that one up. Yeah, pick that um, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. about the CTU attack ads that were launched this week? Um, you know, masquerading as a front page on the Herald. I mean, there's some issues around the Herald actually allowing that to occur in the way that it did without saying, well, hang on a second, this is going to reflect on our brand as much as it is on um, on Christopher Luxon. Oh, look, I, I think the Herald is probably uh, trying to take any money they can before they go broke, so I don't have too many problems with the Herald running those ads. Um, I liked part of the message of the CTU um, ads. I, I, you know, the, the out-of-touch part I thought was good. I'm not sure about the too much risk because I don't think the average person thinks that the government agencies are particularly competent and cutting money for incompetent agencies is probably quite a good thing in the view of most people. Um, I just would have been really putting the the message out there that, you know, Luxon doesn't understand people like me. He really is out of touch. He's just not a guy that you want to go and have a beer with and you can't have a beer with him. And you know, I would. Well, he doesn't drink normal, for a start. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd I'd have normal people saying that. You know, I probably would have got someone who. You know, I work for Air New Zealand, and I, you know, as a tradie, and I left to set up my own business because I hated those rich pricks in those shiny suits that thought they knew better than me, and they bloody could all they could do in a plane is sit in a seat. They couldn't fix it, you know, and just stuff like that, you know, and. Mm. No one wants to vote for their boss. Um, now, that's not quite true, but it's a message that most people would instinctively understand, like no one would vote for their mother-in-law. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just that that would I would be concentrating not so much on Nationals' policies and I, would be con- I really would be playing the man a lot more than the ball. Yeah. So how do you defend against negative campaigns? Well, the first thing you do is you don't have a sook about it. I mean, I was, Chris Bishop, who was a gifted politician and won a seat that he had no right to win through sheer hard work and really good strategy. And you know, you, you've got to admire Chris Smith, uh, Chris um, Bishop driving um, Trevor Mallard out of Hart South. I mean, that is a work of a genius politician. And for him to come out and complain about it, I mean, Jesus, like, it doesn't he understand basic rules? You know, if a, if someone bullies you, you don't whinge about it. You whack them back, and you whack them back hard. You know, National should have come out straight away and been really aggressive, saying Labor can't run on their record because the record's appalling. I mean, these guys are just useless. That's why they're running against us. You know, we're happy to run on Labor's record of failure. They failed to build light rail. They failed to build the hundred thousand Kiwi build houses. They failed to buy the vaccines in time. They failed to improve our hospitals and polytechs with stupid, expensive bureaucratic reforms. They pissed away all that money on um, uh, merging the um, uh, TVNZ and Radio New Zealand for no real purpose. They failed a generation of school kids who wagged school with no consequence, and they failed our our communities by not stopping ram raids. Labor can go on as much as they like about us, but they really should look at the mirror and see the people that have failed at every step in government and mm. have failed New Zealanders. You know, and, and yeah, smack Hipkins hard in the face about his failures and just reinforce that message and not complain about it. You know, and and they really should have. If they had have been professional, they would have had that playbook ready for when Jacinda went. And 
you know, there weren't many people that could take over and you knew the messages that you could run on the people that took over and you could define them quickly and and the public would have largely accepted the definition because they're basically true. That then leads to what negative campaigning should emphasise and what you've got some thoughts on that, about what you should uh, focus your negative campaigning on and what you should reinforce or what you should echo uh, out there. Yeah, and, and, and you've, you, you've got to stop being cerebral about it and think about what the, the, the guy at the rugby club is is, is thinking and on a Saturday afternoon, which is generally he doesn't think about politics at all and he has a, a visceral reaction to things. And, you know, like if you're campaigning against co-governance and you don't trust Luxon on co-governance because, you know, Chris Finlayson's hanging around, your negative uh, campaign is going to, the theme of it, and it won't quite say this, is don't yeah. let Luxon sell us out to the Maoris. Um, you can't say that in New Zealand these days, but that's the message and it has to be a bit more subtle. And, you know, that would be from the right, but very much the the, the from the left, it's, you know, Luxon doesn't understand people like me and he's out of touch. A bloke that owns seven houses hasn't got a clue how hard it is to get a deposit together for your first house. You know, he, he doesn't understand what a struggle it is to afford the, the school uniforms for our kids when we're, we're paying so much in mortgage costs because we can't afford our, um, uh, or we, we've bought a house and the interest rates have gone up. You know, and, and ACT, well, ACT, and I think David Seymour has done an admirable job until the last few months where he's made a few pretty basic mistakes, uh, and but, you know, over the last 10 years, he's been consistently the best around, mm. but ACT are really pro-immigration. Yeah, and, and, you know, the, the attacks on ACT are really simple. ACT means more immigrants, and immigrants will block our roads, they'll take our jobs, they'll fill our hospitals, they'll fill our schools. We can't have ACT doing that to our country. We can't have ACT in government until we've got hospitals that don't have huge waiting lists and long waiting times. We can't have ACT bringing in more immigrants when all the roads in Auckland are absolutely chock-a-block and gridlocked. You know, we can't have low-wage immigrants coming in and driving down our uh, the wages of our workers. You know, that, that would be the negative attack that you'd, you'd have a crack on with, with ACT. And, you know, ACT genuinely are... Classical liberals, they do believe in immigration, and it, so it's the truth. It's not particularly personal, but that's how you'd attack ACT. And and Seymour, and, and this is where one of the things that I admire him for, because he actually genuinely does have beliefs, would, would probably accept that, that he believes in immigration, and he would try and persuade people with his argument that immigration was actually good rather than complaining about someone having a go at him over immigration. And, you know, that that there's not many politicians in New Zealand who are brave enough and have the courage of their convictions to argue when the, mm. something they're doing is pretty unpopular. I, always, I thought the other day that uh, Winston uh, could have a bit of a crack at the other leaders uh, because, you know, he's got his, his horse ad, which is going gangbusters on social media. I think it's had around 150,000 views now on Twitter. Um, he could challenge uh, the other leaders to, uh, you know, show how they can get on a horse and you end up with a Don Brash situation. I mean, watching Chris Hipkins try and climb on the back of a horse would be just laughable given how small and tiny he is. And watching Christopher Luxon do it, it would be even funnier. Um, or James Shaw, you know, about the only uh, leaders that would probably leap on the back of a horse with better skills than Winston would be uh, the Maori Party leaders. 
well, Maribyrn Davidson might be able to, but you know, and, and and I think that if we compare it to to what Helen Clark would say, if someone came and asked her, she would just shut that down straight away because it's just you know she was way too smart to get trapped into doing something like that. Um, but it is it, it yeah uh, it, it is something that probably could have happened, um, and you know it was a it was a good ad. It, it, made Winston look happy and smiley and, and emphasised his experience and he's been there before. Um, and the big thing was is that everyone looks at it and they're like, yeah, we might not like Winston that much, but, yeah, we quite like having him around. He's quite fun. Well, he's a rascal and a scallywag, and I think we need to have rascals and scallywags in Parliament. That's my view anyway. Well, yeah, I think you know, I think we've uh, traversed uh, negative campaigning in a way that, People have never heard before that there is some benefits to negative campaigning. It doesn't all have to be nasty, but the most important uh, thing about negative campaigning is it needs to be truthful. Yeah, and it, it has to be based on stuff that people instinctively understand. If they don't instinctively understand, complete waste of time. Um, and, you know, that that's where some of the stuff that we've um, highlighted will show good campaigns doing good things to define their opponents. Well, hopefully we'll have time for another analysis. We'll see if, if there's any more negative ads and maybe we can do a, a redux of this closer to the election uh, to educate people on whether it was successful or not successful. And, of course, the polls will show that as well. Yep, and obviously we have opinions and sometimes they're right and sometimes they're not. But, uh, yeah, the polls will tell us. Yeah, I mean, we had a lot of feedback about your opinion about Jacinda Ardern and how people thought you were deluded because she thought she was lovely. But, you know, that's a, you're entitled to your opinion. It doesn't make you a bad person because you're wrong on that one. Well, see, so this is where I would say if those people actually got to spend some time with Jacinda and have a few drinks with her, they would find it very difficult not to like her in the same way that Michael Cullen really wanted to hate John Key but just couldn't uh, mm. because John Key was just a likeable guy and he wanted to hate him through the debates as finance uh, spokesman in 2005 and just couldn't help liking him. I think that, you know, as much as people don't didn't like what Jacinda did, I think that if they were to go in and, you know, have a decent conversation with her rather than just a, attack her and treat her as a, as a human, they would be overwhelmed that she was actually quite a nice person, which is absolutely unusual in politics. I mean, how many nice people do you know in politics, Ken? Yeah, not many. Look, nice people can do bad things, and that's what Jacinda Ardern did in the end. She thought she I, was doing the right thing, but was, you know, it was pretty terrible. Uh, especially I, I never said I liked her politics. I just liked her as a person. I found her politics abhorrent. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's good to clear that up for the for the listeners. Anyway, yeah. Simon, thank you once again for uh, explaining the ins and outs of some of the darker aspects of politics. And uh, hopefully New Zealand can you know, at least catch up with the Australians when it comes to negative campaigning and uh, aim to be on a par with the Americans because it's a whole lot more fun. Oh, definitely. And you're just telling the truth about people. Exactly. And truth in politics is something that is very scant these days. Yes. Yeah. Say what you like about Simon Lusk, but he's one of the best operators in the shadowy back rooms of politics. He certainly shared with you all today just exactly how negative campaigning can and does work. Do you think the same?
Don't forget to send comments to inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy right here on RCR.